interesting to think about what happens in other people's life, isn't it? As a matter of fact, that's why in career days in in high school, they invite various people that work in various careers to come in and just tell a little bit about what they do each day. That perhaps is one reason why many workplaces will have a certain day designated as bring your son day or bring your daughter day to work so that they can see a little bit more about what their, their mother or father's day is like at work. A lot of the reason that interns, internships are so successful is that it gives those individuals that are thinking about working in a certain area the opportunity to go into work each day for a short period of time so that they can see, what's the day like if I decide to go in this particular career? Think about all the television shows, the documentaries, even somewhat some of the reality shows that they're produced just so people can see what it's like in someone's day. Think about all the biographies that have ever been written because people like to learn what it's like in other people's day. Now, not to oversimplify, but have you ever thought about the first four books of the New Testament? The life of Jesus Christ, written so that we would know much more about what life was like in Jesus' life, especially those last three and a half years of public ministry. It's pretty awesome to be able to think about We can walk around with Jesus and we can see what He did and we can listen to His teachings and His preaching. We can see how He conducted Himself among friends and even among enemies. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is I'd like for us to spend some time in thinking about Jesus' ministry almost in a countdown. When we think about four, three, two, and one... First, we think about there are four Gospels. As was capably read in our text this morning, the book of Luke begins by Luke saying, I want to tell you why I wrote this particular Gospel. And when we go back and we just scan some of those things in Luke, the first chapter, notice in verse 1, he says, I'm writing a narrative to you. In verse 2, he says, like others, I was an eyewitness. And in verse 3, he said, I had a perfect understanding of, of the life of Jesus and what I've seen. And so in verse 4, he's writing this so that you may know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. Luke knows exactly what he's doing. This wasn't just some kind of miscellaneous diary that Luke started writing. And then when he finished, he said, well, would you look at that? This just happens to be a a chronicle of Jesus' life. No, he knew he was writing a narrative of it. And he knew that because he was an eyewitness, he could bless the lives of others that had not been eyewitnesses. And that the things that maybe they had heard about the life of Jesus, he could bring an understanding to it. He could bring conviction to the fact that he truly is Lord. He's worth living for. But have you ever really thought about why four? Why four Gospels? Let's give five reasons why there were four Gospels. Number one is for content's sake. You can learn a lot more about a situation or a person if you ask various people. We have several photographers in this congregation. What if we took one person and we asked one photographer to create a gallery or portfolio of that one person? you would get how they see that person. But what if you ask four photographers to create a gallery or portfolio of that? Then you'll get different perspectives. What if you ask four people to write a biography instead of just one person to write a biography about someone? You're going to get a much broader sense and you're going to see them from different angles. And so the content is so much richer with God's plan to have four to write the Gospels instead of having only one Gospel. Second, we see that communication is improved because there are four Gospels instead of one Gospel. In other words, 
Each of the Gospels targets a, a particular audience. For example, when Matthew writes, there's no doubt about it, he was writing to Jews. When Mark writes, it seems that he's writing to the Romans. When Luke writes, he writes in a much more general sense as to target the Greeks. And then years later, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels, many of the same stories are told, written close to the same time period. But later in years, John was written. And you remember, he tells us that he wrote it to prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he wrote to a general audience to simply make that proof. You know, this morning, if, if, if I were going to speak to a, a young person, and now I don't want to embarrass Brother Pat Hackney, but if I could use him as an example, if I was going to speak to a young person, I might say, oh, do, do you know uh, Brother Pat Hackney? He's a, he's a high school teacher. Or if I was speaking to an individual and I just met them and they were a principal or a superintendent, I might say, well, now, do you know Brother Pat Hackney? He's been the headmaster of a school for many years. Or I might meet somebody in this congregation and I might say, do you know Brother Pat Hackney? He's an elder in this congregation. Or I might meet somebody out of the community that's lived in Mount Juliet for a long time and I might say to them, have you met Brother Pat Hackney? He's been in Mount Juliet all of his life also. Do you see how the audience in which you're addressing affects what you deliver to them? And so it's interesting to think about the Gospels. Why did some betray certain stories? Well, they were reaching certain audiences. And so that is why Matthew writes his accounts and Mark and Luke and John. And so we see that the content and the communication is much greater because it brings clarity having four different gospel writers because each of them, when we pull their work together, we have the fullest revelation that we have of the life of Jesus Christ. And so each one literally helps clarify the other. And that brings us to the fourth, and that is confirmation. If someone comes up to you that is a, is a witness and a trustworthy witness of something and they tell you something, wouldn't it be interesting that, that you would observe those facts and appreciate it because they were trustworthy? But what if a second person comes up that's trustworthy and they tell you additional facts? It just confirms it. Oh, now we have two different witnesses to this. I really believe this. And then a third person comes up and a fourth person. And although they all may bring different details... None of their details conflict with each other. And all of them are trustworthy. We would simply walk away with greater confirmation because everybody that's writing is telling this same story of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, being the Savior, being the Messiah, being the one who has been resurrected from the dead, being the one who has ascended and is coming back again. Friends, when we hear it once, it's powerful. But how about when we hear it twice and three times and four times? No wonder we have the Gospels by God's plan to have been written by four different men instead of, which brings us to our fifth point, and that is the quantity. You see, there could have been one Gospel written and it would have been much shorter, perhaps. God's plan was for the story of Jesus Christ in volume to take up almost half of the New Testament. It probably would not be that long if one man would have wrote a gospel. But since there are four gospels, even though it's only four books of the New Testament, it takes up almost the equivalent of the other 23 books of the New Testament. The emphasis of the New Testament is upon Jesus. 
So as we think about the four, we also then do the countdown, not just to three, but we do the countdown to three and a half. The three and a half is the number of years that Jesus' public ministry took place. When we go to Luke, the third chapter in verse 23, and by the way, this is one of those little kind of, and I don't mean trivia, meaning that's unimportant, but oftentimes people will say, how is it that we know Jesus began his public ministry at age 30? Right here's your verse. This is the one verse we have. It's in Luke 3 and 23. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now, the reason it says, as supposed the son of Joseph, is you know that he wasn't naturally the son of Joseph. But in lineage, that's the way it's recorded. And, and actually then, it immediately jumps over. He was really the son-in-law of Heli. And that jumps over then to the lineage of Mary in Luke, the third chapter. But the emphasis of why we're reading this now is because he began his public ministry at about 30 years of age, God tells us. And then, in a few minutes, we're going to see that we can count the Passovers. Passover was an annual feast day that the Jews celebrated. And we can count the Passovers and we can see that that would equate to about three and a half years. When we look at this next slide, we see a chart. And I know it's probably not laid out as well as it could be, but trying to lay it out on one particular slide. Notice there, and and as you you read those uh, months and you read the various places, which is going to be our next point. But right now, as you read the months, let me emphasize to you that those, of course, are not to be set in stone. It's not just a a clean four months or a clean eight months. But the best that we can put the four Gospels together, what we see is that Jesus' ministry, the the baptism and being out in the wilderness wandering uh, and, and being tempted in the wilderness, those were taking place over the first four months. But then we see... Well, i tell you what, before we develop this strongly, let's go ahead and get the next point on the table, and then we'll develop this chart. As we go to the next slide, notice, we've got the countdown. Four Gospels, three and a half years, and three ministries. And the reason Jesus' ministries are oftentimes broken down into three is the emphasis is on geographical location. And when you look at that map, you see at the top of that map, in the middle of the landmass there, a body of water that is the Sea of Galilee. The reason I'm telling you this, if, if you kind of get lost when you study New Testament geography. Listen, New Testament geography, in, in much sense, the basic principles are so simple. And it's, it's as simple as what I'm about to say to you. So I hope that you'll, you'll put this in your mind. You'll study the map in your back of your Bible because it'll help you understand the New Testament better. Always look for that landmass there and look for the Sea of Galilee. Coming out of it is a stream that is the Jordan River and it, it, it dead ends into the Dead Sea. And that's why it's a very salty sea. It only water evaporates from there. Well, then when you look to the west of that, the northern part of the west or to the west of the Sea of Galilee, you see Galilee. Below that, you see an area of Samaria. And below that, you see Judea. And Jesus' ministry took place primarily in Galilee and in Judea, except for a short stint of time just before he was going to be crucified to find almost like a place of refuge. He crossed over the Jordan River into Perea. And so he spent a few months there. And... and to the, the, the far uh, west of that, and now I'll go back in my mind. I may have said east and west backward a while ago. You may have caught that. I don't know. But anyway, to the west of that is the Mediterranean Sea. Now, picture that in your mind as, as we now look at this chart again. Let's go to the next slide. And, and now let's think about these years and think about these places. And just as I said that the months are not set in stone, 
The locations are not set in stone as if to say once he went to Galilee, he never left there until that time period was over. Because keep in mind, if you were a faithful Jew, a male, faithful Jewish male, you would travel to Jerusalem no less than three times a year to observe feast days. So you can see the Galilean, the early Galilean, middle Galilean, and late Galilean ministry, they took up almost uh, 20 months. So there would have been times during the Galilean ministry that he would have went down to Judea. And so there's a lot of exceptions like that. But just trying to help us understand Christ's ministry, we need to understand these locations. The beginning where he spent much of his time for eight months in Galilee, or I'm sorry, in Judea. And then when he traveled back to Galilee, he spent 20 months there. But then leaving there, he went down uh, back to the late Judean. And the reason that's called late Judean is because he started out his public ministry uh, very early on for a few months in Judea. And then we have the Perean ministry. And from that, we have the entrance into Jerusalem to be crucified. I almost hesitate to do this, but... I'll try it on you guys. If it goes well, we'll do it next service too. If, you, if you'd like, be open your Bibles to John. I, I want to give you just a quick, just hitting on a few passages that if you had that chart that we just left, like on a piece of paper in your lap there, you could write these scriptures and it would show you the transition into each of these ministries. I simply want to do this out of the book of John because his record is a little more clear of the four Passovers. And keep in mind, in three and, a half ministry, three and a half years of ministry, the fourth Passover was the week that he was crucified. And so let's think about some of this. We see in John, the first chapter, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 938, 938. And John, the first chapter, in verse 19, we see the beginning of John's ministry. And he says in verse 28, these things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And in 29, it was John that introduced to the disciples Jesus Christ, the Son or the Lamb of God. And we see that he's reaching out in 35 and following to Peter and to Andrew and to John so that they would become disciples. Don't confuse that with them becoming apostles. Right now, he's simply inviting them to become disciples, not apostles. And notice in 43, he was about to leave to go to Galilee. In the second chapter, he now enters into Galilee. So if you're thinking about that grid we just left or that timeline, now we, we have him coming out of Judea and now he is in uh, Galilee. And very quickly though, notice in the second chapter in verse 13, we have the first Passover. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now I hope you're still picturing that map in your mind and I hope that bugs you a little bit. She say, why would the Bible say he went up to Jerusalem if he's in Galilee? Because remember Galilee was far north, he went through Samaria south and then down to Jerusalem and Judea. If you and I walked everywhere, instead of roading cars with GPS systems, we would talk as it related to elevation if we walked everywhere instead of north and south. They talked about Jerusalem being up because it was a great walk and increased elevation as they made that journey. And this is just an example. You'll see that over and over in the passages that we'll read. So he makes his way to Jerusalem and he spends time there. But notice by the fourth chapter in verse 3, he's ready to leave Jerusalem now and, and to begin uh, what we are calling in our, our chart there, 
the early Galilean ministry. But in the fourth chapter, he doesn't quite make it as his ministry continues because he departed in verse 3 from Judea to go to Galilee, but in verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria. Remember, that was unusual for a Jewish man to walk through the midst of Samaria. They usually go around it because of the prejudice. And so he walked through there, and, and that's where he reaches the Samaritan woman at the well. But this brings us now to the fourth chapter in verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they, had gone, for they also had gone to the feast. So you have that in your mind? He spent those months down in Jerusalem at the feast, and he got people's attention. So then when everybody left the feast and went back home, the Galileans now were ready to welcome him or endorse him as one willing are worthy to listen to. They were willing to listen to him because they'd already heard him down in Judea. And now when we come to the fifth chapter in verse 1, we have a feast taking place. Look at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, I want to be real honest with you in the scriptures anytime I teach. And, and this is one of those times that there is debate. Was this feast right here a Passover or not? There's some that says perhaps it wasn't a Passover. I believe it was a Passover because I believe it was very intentional that John was giving us all four of the Passovers. It's important for there to be three and a half years in Jesus' ministry because that fulfills the prophecy in Daniel, the ninth chapter and verse 27, where a day was likened to a year and it spoke about the life that he would live and how it would end in suffering in a, a, a half of a week. A half of a week is three and a half days. If a day is a year, it was going to end. His public ministry was going to end in suffering in three and a half years to fulfill that prophecy. And I believe John is showing us, because remember the emphasis of John? John was written to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. And so John is showing us every one of the Passovers where people could say, See? He is the Son of God. He fulfilled the prophecy in Daniel, the ninth chapter. And so I believe this was one of those Passovers. And if it is, that's the second Passover. All right, picking up a little bit of pace here. We go to the sixth chapter and we see now after celebrating that Passover, he goes back to Galilee because we're still on the chart in the midst of the Galilean ministries. But then we have another Passover that needs to be celebrated in the sixth chapter in verse 4. As the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Now, when we go to the seventh chapter, we see that now there is, this is going to be the end of the Galilean ministry. And we see in the seventh chapter in verse one that he's back in Galilee. But then, and, and by the way, the middle of the Galilean ministry was the height of Jesus' popularity. After that, there were a lot of people that started disliking, disliking him and growing envious of him and wanting to kill him. And we see that here. So when his Galilean ministry is over, look in verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand. He's not going to go there with his brothers, but he's going to go there in the middle of the week. He's going to become public that he is there. And notice in the 7th chapter, verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and he taught. Okay, this feast here... It's the Feast of the Tabernacles that would have been celebrated in October. Now, Passover would have been over in the spring. So think about it. This is the October before Jesus would be crucified in the spring. 
And so we have six months roughly left in Jesus' life. And that is the last two ministries. He's going to spend about three months while he's there teaching at the Feast of the Tabernacle. He's going to stay around Jerusalem. He's going to do many things there for three months. By this time, people are going to be so stirred up, the Jews, the chief priests, they would have killed him at that moment. And so he ducks out of the way of the midst of Jerusalem because it's not his time. He wasn't going to be crucified. Remember, he gave his life. His life wasn't taken. And so he was going to wait, and he would cross over into Perea. Now, the um, look with me, if you will, to the 10th chapter, verse 40. And studying out of the Gospel of John, it's not nearly as clear, but just so you can see a timeline. And the 10th chapter, verse 40, would be the end of the Judean time where of those three months, and then this would make reference to that time in Perea where it says, and he went again beyond the Jordan. You see, that's crossing over the Jordan, getting out of Judea to the place where John was baptizing, and there he stayed. Now notice John, the 12th chapter. In John, the 12th chapter, in verse 12, the next day, now we're at the end of the Perean ministry. That's been the three months of the Perean ministry. Now the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast. Now see, that feast is the Passover feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who's come in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now you wonder why sometime there, you're like you're reading through the Gospel of John, and it goes from one verse to another, and you may skip months, and sometime even almost a year. Do you realize up until the 11 and a half chapters of the book of John covers three and a half years of ministry, the rest of the book of John is about the last week of Jesus' life and the few stories we have of the resurrected Lord before His ascension. And so that's why there, there's not just going to be a perfect chronological record where this is what happened day after day or month after month, but that gives us a view of his ministries, of how he started out and how he spent time in Judea and then in Galilee and then came back to Judea for three more months and then Perea for three months and then he has his triumphal entry. You see, that's the three and all of that can be put into two phases and the two phases that we read about in the gospel is number one, broader in volume, and that is the ministry of Jesus, and number two, the death of Jesus. This is the way Mark the 10th chapter and verse 45 would say it. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but notice this, but to serve, and number two, to give his life a ransom for many. And then that brings us to the invitation this morning, and that is the final countdown. We've had five benefits to four Gospels to tell about three and a half years of Jesus' ministry that's divided into three geographical locations to tell us two primary things about His ministry and about His death. Why? Because, brethren, He is the one Lord. There was that day where multitudes were following Him, but His popularity was waning, and what He taught was not easy to follow, and they said it was a hard saying, and they turned their back to follow Jesus never again. And Jesus then turns around to the closest. He turns around to the apostles, and He says to them in verse 67 of John, the sixth chapter, He says, Do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that. Notice the word thee here. You are the Christ and the Son of the living God. There is only one that is glorified, that is the Lord, the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. Four Gospels are written to tell us that. A great ministry took place so that we could call Him Lord of our life. That ministry ultimately ending on this earth in death and resurrection and the promise that He's coming again. And so the question this morning is we can study the life of Jesus from just a factual standpoint. And that's wonderful to learn, but it has to become real. Is He your Lord? If not, why not make Him your Lord? Your life will never be what God designed for it to be until His ministry impacts you. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins, why not this morning? Maybe you have been baptized and along the way you've lost the way. Why not come back to Him? It was the Lord in His ministry that said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If we can help you find the rest of the Lord this morning, come as we stand and as we sing.